checklist to measure your progress in your EBD classroom without feeling like you can't measure up to your general counterparts? <laughs> Do you want to end every day feeling successful in your EBD classroom? In today's episode, I share how to track and measure progress, even if you're short on time. So if you're ready to see problems with progress behavior in your classroom, make sure you listen to today's episode. My name is Shay Tracy, and you are listening to the Shay Tracy Podcast. Uh, for those of you who are new to me, I am an educator and consultant for emotional behavioral disturbances classrooms, and I am going into my ninth year slash my year working with EBG students, students with EBG. Um, what started me on this journey overall was uh, I got placed into this classroom after changing districts. Uh, my initial placement did not work out uh, because of some key indicators in terms of how I curate culture and, you know, the expectations that I have for students. And I was placed into this classroom that had no expectations. And that, if anything, was probably my biggest test in terms of whether I was flexible and adaptable and trainable when it came to delivering successful outcomes to all students. Uh, prior to being in the EBD classroom, I worked with moderate to severe students. And I've learned that the key difference between those two dynamics was that a lot of the maladaptive behaviors came due to the, be, the actual disability that the students had. Whereas here in the EBD classroom, I've learned that the environmental components, the families that our students come from, um, some of the trauma that our students have experienced influence our classroom more than anything. And I've learned to become more sensitive by incorporating trauma-informed practices to incorporate restorative practices uh, to not allow one day influence to influence the other, to not allow their behavior to influence my demeanor. Um, and again, being in my own classroom, being in this classroom, it requires that you have some key skills to feel successful and to be successful in operating in this room, right? So I'm going to let you know some of the, the things that, again, you have to have in order for you to know that your classroom is being successful, right? And there's a lot of classrooms that operate that get through the day, but I am a key person in understanding that if your students never leave your room, if they are only successful in your classroom, then your classroom needs to increase its expectations and its identity with, with success, right? Because our students do not live in a special education world. Um, they, if anything, leave our rooms and they need to be prepared to interact with the world that they, that they actually live in. And for us to get them to that point, these are the seven things your classroom needs to have so that you know that it's successful and a way for you to come up with that success for yourself as well. So number one, the key indicator that your EBD classroom is successful is that self-awareness and self-management is explicitly taught every day. And I mean, every single day. Are we teaching social skills? Are we working on IEP goals? Are we tracking behavior every single day? Then, ding, you're successful. And I say that to say because what 
we're trying to do is we want our students to be able to move without us, right? We want them to be able to maneuver and to navigate in their worlds without a constant reminder of us standing over them. And we don't want to have the carrot and the stick. We don't want to be that. We want them to understand and to recognize what they are doing and how they are moving and be able to self-reward themselves in creating that criteria of how I know I'm being successful. So we give our students <laughs> rubrics so that they know that they're doing well. We wanna make sure that we're doing well too. So a way to do that is teaching self-awareness, getting them to reflect daily, getting them to self-identify, getting them to check in with themselves and we want them to self-manage. They want to have strategies, techniques in order for them to check in with themselves, in order for them to self-monitor so that they understand that, hey, I'm doing everything I need to do, so I don't need you to tell me. And that's the attitude I prefer. <laughs> All right. So getting those things taught into your classroom, and again, you can embed them in isolation and social skills. You can incorporate that SEL into your academic learning, into your reading, into your science, into your math. Um, but you can also have it as just a moment of practice when it comes to, you know, restorative justice circles or when moments happen in the classroom and we use that learning as a learning moment for us to go over some of those skills, go over some of those um, strategies when we do those check-ins daily where we get to micro teach and do many skills in those moments of well what could you have done how could you have communicated that better where is it that you think you messed up in terms of how you handled the situation well what will you do to troubleshoot that next time like again having that walk all the way through so that the students understand that I have to do better I can't do better I am doing better so that they know to implement those skills the next time, right? So helping self-awareness and self-management and teaching that daily is exceptionally uh, a marker in terms of, is your classroom successful? Number two, another indicator as to whether or not your EBG classroom is successful is if you can keep the number of incidents in your class between these two numbers. So there's a base number and it never should be zero. You should never say, I'm going to have zero incidents today. You are setting yourself up for failure. You will never have a successful day. You will never have a successful day. I think, if anything, the bare minimum of number of incidents you should have in your class should be one. One. And I learned this strategy back when I was a brand new mom. And my eldest child, who is now 10, right, he slept maybe two hours when he was a newborn, up until about two and a half, three months. So I was sleep deprived, like no one's business. I was also a young mom. So it is what it is. I, I've learned, I've learned since then. Uh, but I came up with the check marker because he slept every two hours and I was desperately trying to sleep through the night. Right. And that doesn't match. <laughs> that does not match. So I gave myself a new marker. If I get to sleep for at least one hour, that's a win. So if you slept two hours and I got to sleep one hour, thing, that's a win. And that mindset shift changed my life. It really did. And my perspective and my new parenting journey changed my life. So if you change the number of incidents from zero to one, then every day will be a good day. Because if you only have one incident, you're a winner. You're a winner. Today was a great day. 
But then you also have to have a cap. <laughs> you also have to have a cap. So if one is your baseline. Your cap is I can have no more than this many incidents in a day. And I'm going to let you make that as your marker. So when I first got into my classroom, the students that I had, they were eighth graders. I was the seventh, eighth grade teacher at that time. And these students cussed like nobody's business, like nobody's business, okay? They were saying words together I have never heard. I was so confused, like who taught y'all to speak like this? I don't understand. <laughs> but I also learned before we can get through anything, we have to address this because what would happen as I looked at my data is students would have interactions with one another and they would only ever become volatile or aggressive if they were cursing at each other. So if students were talking and it was fine, then one student cussed, then the other student would curse. And then they would try to outdo each other when it came to cursing. And that would create them standing up now from their chair to out loud each other. And then they would approach each other. So that was the trigger. If they cursed at each other, then that led to all the other maladaptive behaviors that made the classroom chaotic. So the only thing that I worked on the few months that I was at the start of my being there was no one is allowed to curse. That was my only non-negotiable. Everything else I didn't even worry about because if we couldn't get through this, then it didn't matter. So they couldn't cuss. And you'll be surprised how creative they got in expressing themselves without cursing. And once we got that in order, then we worked on the other things. But you have to have one. You have to have a post, a marker. What can I do? What do we have to work on? And for your classroom, it could be uh, the number of times students elope or go on unescorted walks. If we can get that number down, then we'll worry about everything else the number of tantrums that I have in my room. If I can get that number down, then we'll work on everything else. If I can get the number of physical aggressive acts towards staff, if we can get that number down, then we'll work on everything else. So pick one. Don't work on everything at one time. You're only gonna hurt and confuse and frustrate yourself. So pick one. Um, and when I moved into the elementary classroom, that's what I worked on because the number of students who eloped was crazy. And I simply fixed it by saying one thing. Before you get to this door, you need to announce to the room that you're leaving. You don't have to ask. Just tell us that you're going. You don't have to tell me where you're going. Just say you're going away. <laughs> you don't have to. And we worked on that. And then after we worked on, hey, announcing yourself before you leave keeps you uh, from breaking a non-negotiable, then we added everything else. But we built it built by brick by brick. Like you couldn't impose all of the rules at one time because there's too many things to keep up with. So we started with one and then we slowly crept up to all of them. And I've learned how to now teach several non-negotiables at one time. And I'll get into that in another episode. But back to my main point. You want to keep the number of incidents between two points in order for you to identify if you're having a successful day. One being your base. And the top number has to be a number that you only come up with when you look at your data. Your data will tell you based on what the students are doing, how they are performing, when those maladaptive behaviors occur, if the number you need to come up with is nine <laughs> or four, okay? But don't come up with four. 
if you have 22 instances of physical aggression every day, don't come up with four. If kids are running out of your room 10 times a day, don't come up with four. If you, do you know what I'm saying? Okay, as long as we're on the same page. So as long as the goal that you're setting is reasonable and achievable, think of smart, specific, measurable, accurate, relevant, time-stamped, and you do that within a set amount of time, do not impose this checkpoint for the entire school year. You will not be successful. You have to have markers for yourself and you need to build in supports so that you understand that, look, we're, we're working on this goal, but check it. We're, we're doing much better than we're doing before, okay? So in the same sense, you want a completed or tabled to-do list. This is number three. You have to know if your classroom is successful, if you guys are doing what you say you're supposed to be doing. And you know this by the plan that you set out for the day. So these are the activities that you have planned. These are the assignments that need to be done today. And maintaining that list and updating it promptly is gonna let you know if your classroom is successful or not. So I used to, and I still do, I over, I over plan for the day because there are some assignments that sometimes don't take as long as I thought it would and there's some assignments that take forever. And you have to learn how to mitigate between those two things, right? What are the circumstances that got us through that? But completing your to-do list for the day, as well as updating it, tabling things for tomorrow or kicking them to another day or crossing them out completely because we don't need to do that assignment is definitely necessary. I know I had some trouble in getting things completed because again, time would pass and then trying to revisit it the following day or what have you was very difficult, but I had to learn how to revisit those assignments to check into those assignments we would get less pushback if I front-loaded the students with an article saying, hey, we have this article that we're going to read and we have to read it a minimum of three times. They're not going to be angry with me when I bring it out the second or third time because I can always say, how many times are we going to read this? Three. What time are we on right now? Two. Excellent. So how many more times do we have to read this? One. Bet. All right, let's go. Let's get it. And students, again, if they understand the expectation, they understand the plan. And then having a reason for that plan. We read it three times because the first time we're just reading it. We're just getting an idea. We're touching it. We're tasting it. We're having an idea of what's happening. The second time we're reading it as a reader. We're going to read this text and we want to understand what's happening. And we want to dig deep. We don't want shallow waters. We're going ocean deep into this text. And the third time we read it, we're reading it as a writer. What did the person do to incorporate and encapsulate all this information? How did they add it together? What key details did they use? What was the vocabulary that they used? What was some of the jargon that we can pull out that did not make much sense? What sentences can we strip away? What kind of language did they use? Is it complex? Is it simple? And when you create and curate that plan and you let them know the purpose of each of those pieces, you are going to get less pushback. It's when you say, well, we got to read it three times because you didn't understand it. What? Now I'm indignant. <laughs> now I'm upset. Did you call me stupid? Like, these are, the, these are the kind of responses we get from our students because that's how they feel. They feel like you're not respecting me. You're not telling me that, that I matter. You're not involving me in this process. I don't know if I like this, right? And we want to eliminate and alleviate some of those frustrations so that they feel heard and they feel understood, right? So again, completing and updating that to-do list, so, so important. Number four, 
Staff are aware and well utilized to support the goals of the classroom. So if I had a quarter for every time I heard a teacher complain about a staff who <laughs> was not doing what they were supposed to be doing or were on their phone or I have nothing for them to do, that's wild. As an educator, as a special education teacher, as an emotional behavioral disturbance classroom teacher, you have a million things to do. You have a million things to do. And the reason why you can't delegate it is because you haven't organized it. And you don't have a system for it because you can't just hand it to them and tell them what to go do with it because you have to come up with the steps every single time you have a new piece of paper in your hand. And that, if anything, is creating the frustration. So making sure the staff are aware of the classroom goals helps it so that they know how to best support you. So creating your own organization system that you can then teach to them, that they can then help run for you is really, really helpful. I know at the start of my, uh, I started my journey in the elementary classroom teaching two subjects, uh, two grades in all subjects. Uh, I had to get in order so that we could implement with fidelity all of the instructional material that we had. It was so difficult, especially in the beginning because elementary requires phonics instruction. It requires vocabulary and spelling and uh, you have to do some background work. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of the background information that we had as children, our students don't have, right? So the students are, the books and stories and et cetera are written, but the students don't have the background to even engage with the text because they don't know. So understanding what they know, how they know it, incorporating just some general details that we should revisit. You have to create a system for that and getting your staff to support you um, in terms of what they are able to do in your classroom is super essential. When a staff says they don't know what to do, it's because you haven't assigned tasks and duties to them that they have to always do, right? The same way you every morning. You have to run morning meeting. Every morning, you have to do intervention. Every morning, you have to take, you know, a reflection or contact parents. Like, you have to do that. What is it that they have to do every day? And you need to identify what those things are that, one, alleviates what you need in your classroom. And you need to assign it to them per what their, their hours are. Because perhaps they're not there all day. Perhaps they're only there until two. Perhaps they leave at 12. Perhaps they, whatever those things are, you need to include that so that your classroom runs smoothly. I have a job. You have a job. You know what your tasks are. I know what my tasks are. And we're able to get those things done. And in the same sense, you want to make sure that your staff, they feel best supported because some staff needs additional supports. Some staff needs visual support. Some staff need an example. Some staff needs a video or a walkthrough or whatever that they can refer to when things are being, you know, a little difficult. And you want to have flow charts. You want to have whatever it is that they need in order for them to best do their job. And I know it feels like, well, why do I have to do that? Why should I do that? And it's because, well, it's your classroom. <laughs> and I say it this way because... You can create a system for your classroom or you can have someone assign a system to you. And 
we don't do well when we have systems assigned to us, right? Like it takes away our autonomy. It takes away our sense of ownership. So I oftentimes assign tasks and I let the staff do it however they like. But if they need additional help and additional support to get that task done, then I have no problem doing that. I have no problem helping you. Like, cool, sure. But not on some like, oh, well, what's the frustration? What's the difficulty? Like, well, why don't you know how to do it? Just let me know what you need help in. What part is difficult for you? But also giving them the space and the time to mess up. It's cool. There's nothing that we're doing here that's life or death. Very rarely. Very rarely. We're not surgeons. This is not the last thing that will be the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back. Like we're not in that situation. So let's provide the grace that comes with that. So letting our staff be aware and let them be well utilized by utilizing their strengths. We don't impose their strengths. This is what you're good at. Let me help you use that more. Let's develop that more, right? So that everyone feels good and everyone feels successful. So you're teaching self-awareness and self-management every day. Your incidents are between these two numbers. You have a completed or table to-do list and your staff is being well-utilized. You know that your classroom is successful, all right? So then moving into the fifth thing that you need to have in order to have a successful EBD classroom is that data tracking in, um, of their behavior and their goals, it occurs daily. It occurs daily. The first thing I did when I got into my classroom was I took away the subjective view of whether or not I said a student was doing well. And I did that by identifying their baseline and then creating a goal post based on what the IEP goals were, creating a checkpoint based on what the IEP goals were, and then thinking of the general use of the class, right? So if we're taking behavior today, and I'm saying in order for you to be successful, I need to not prompt you more than three times to follow directions. If I follow, if I have to prompt you three times to follow direction, then you're not being successful in this area. If I have to prompt you three times to engage into your academic task, you're not being successful. If I have to prompt you three times on foul language per 30 minute segments, you're not being successful. But I had to take away this idea where I just looked back on the day on how I felt the student had done. And I had to create some clear measurable data components so that we couldn't rely on our individual feelings. So students in their preparation to getting into gen ed classrooms, if we remove this idea that they're doing so well, they can go to mainstream, we have to have some parameters on how we do that. What would be successful markers for the students to be there for 30 minutes versus an hour versus two hours versus a half day? versus a full day. We have to have some parameters in sight for that so that the student is allowed out of our room. They have to be able to go. We cannot hold on to them under any capacity. No, it's not, that's not okay. <laughs> we cannot hold on to them. They are not your kids. They are not your babies. They are your students. They are your scholars. And we're preparing them. 
And we have to prepare them. In order to prepare them, we have to create goals for them. And we have to make sure that they're successful in meeting those goals. So for us to do that, we have to create some, some guidelines for ourselves and for them. So in the same sense, when they ask us that question as to whether or not they're ready to go, and they say, matter-of-factly, I should be able to do, and then you can point to clear data. This is why we cannot allow. You were physically aggressive three times last week over the course of four days. We cannot allow you to go to PE mainstream. We can't. It, it wouldn't be conducive. It would be a hazard. It would jeopardize the safety of our classmates. It would jeopardize the safety of your peers. We don't want to impose that on you socially. So let's just wait. Let's get this number down to one. We created a goal. We have meaningful data. The student now knows the consequences of being physically aggressive is not having access to his peers during the times he would prefer. And we all have a plan now to work on that, right? What are the strategies that we can incorporate in order for you to be able to mainstream? Well, what should you do when you get upset? What can you do instead of becoming physically aggressive? What can you ask for so that we can best support you? What should we look for in order for us to come and intervene? These are the questions that we have to ask and really relegate to our students so that they know when and how to be successful. But having those markers, having that data indicates that your classroom is running very well, very well, all right? Number six, how do we know? <laughs> how do we know your classroom is successful? Is if you have communication to parents and administrators as needed, as needed. So that as needed is very subjective. And I would take into consideration the things that your administrator wants to know about. And I would take into consideration the things that your parents want to know about. But I would also consider what are some of the things that we do not need to communicate to the parents daily. So our program is built to maintain certain behaviors. These behaviors, while they're not negotiable to leaving our classroom, they are within the realms, they're within the parameters of why your student is in this environment. So your student is physically aggressive, your student is a, a bully sometimes, your student steals, your student uh, engages in expletives, your student is verbally aggressive, your student uh, likes to take unescorted walks. I imagine that they're in your classroom because of all of those things. Do we need to communicate that to our parents daily? Probably not, because that's how your child ended up in my classroom, right? Your child ended up in my classroom because they have these behaviors. I don't need to remind you that they still have these behaviors. I need to show you if there's a decrease in these behaviors. I need to tell you if they have gone beyond the parameters of our classroom. If your child went out for an unescorted walk, uh, that lasted five minutes, I probably don't need to let you know of that via phone call, but I'll send a letter home. I'll send a, a home communication tool home 
Um, but if your child was on an unescorted walk and we couldn't get them back into the room for two and a half hours, oh, that definitely requires some parent communication. We can't just drop that in the IEP meeting <laughs> and expect them to be happy with us, right? We want to keep them abreast of information that's important. Same with our students. If our students are having some key changes in their life, we want to let our administrators know because we're going to see an uptick in behaviors or we're going to see... Um, more services that need to be allocated because of the student. So we want to let them know about the plan that we have in place and what are those indicators that lets us know that we need this plan, right? And you want to be sure to uh, keep a record of that. So whether or not you're keeping your own files, your own emails, you know, your own behavior tracking system or your own home communication tool, like whatever that is, whatever that means, then you want to include that so that, again, parents are kept aware and we are informed and we're making database decisions. Um, we want to make sure that that's happening, right? Um, and that they aren't hearing about it only at report card time. They aren't hearing about it only at IEPs uh, or if we have to have manifestation determination meetings because this is what's taking place and parents are just not finding out. Let, let them not be the last to know, right? They don't need to know every single thing, but they should not be the last to know. So creating some um, communication that's rhythmic that happens consistently so that it's not sporadic and that they don't feel like I only get phone calls and bad things happen right we want to make sure that they feel informed and happy all right so in the same sense um last but not least number seven the seventh indicator that's your classroom is successful is the number of standards-based assignments that are completed. Our Common Core program, our EBD program, is still built on Common Core standards. And if our students are not engaging in any behaviors and they're doing so well uh, and they're um, cooperating well with each other and doing all the things, but they are not completing standard-based assignments, your classroom is not successful. It's not. Because you're probably avoiding those grade-level assignments because you know that they're going to cause behaviors. So we don't avoid um, and allow our students to escape grade-level work because it will cause behaviors. We prepare them to do grade level work so that it doesn't. We prepare them so that when they're met with those math assignments, those reading prompts, those writing assignments, that they don't have maladaptive behaviors because they are equipped and they feel prepared. And we have the scaffolds there so that they can meet expectations. But if you do all the other things and your students are still not performing at standard, and your classroom is not successful because while they can behave, those behaviors will return the moment you place a grade level assignment in front of them. And then if that's the case, then how will they ever leave your room? How are they expected to go somewhere else and be successful if they can't do grade level work? I'm a fifth and sixth grade teacher. I will teach fifth and sixth grade standards. 
if my students are performing at kinder and first grade level, then we are going to scaffold <laughs> all of the things to get them to comprehend to the best of their ability, grade level work. And if they cannot comprehend grade level work and they no longer have maladaptive behaviors, then we know that the least restrictive environment that's next is not gen ed. It's the SDC class for students without behaviors. But we wanna best prepare them as well as possible to go into the next environment. Students who stay in EVD, uh, the success rate of them graduating from high school drops down significantly. I think the number is less than 10%. I wanna say like 5% of students who are in the emotional behavior disturbance classrooms graduate. That number is horrendous. That's horrendous. And I am fully intent on changing them but we have to prepare our students. So that means changing how we teach it, changing how we assess it, changing how we expect them to perform it, but they still are expected to meet expectations. Like that's a matter of fact, that's a matter of fact. So the seven overall indicators, <laughs> I know I got serious there, right? Let me, let me calm down. The seven overall indicators as to whether or not our students are successful is one, uh, self-awareness and self-management are explicitly taught daily. You teach that thing every day, every day. The number of incidents are kept in between two checkpoints and you as the educator are the only person who can set that goal of what you think you can get your students to maintain and do based on the supports, accommodations um, that you have in your classroom. Your completed or table to-do list, it's maintained and it's updated promptly every day, hopefully, or week, you know? You have a set amount of assignments that you do for the week and that's how it gets done. Um, staff are aware and they're well utilized to support the goals of your classroom. Uh, efficient data tracking of behavior and goals are taken Communication is made to parents and administrators. And lastly, the number of standard-based assignments. You'll understand that I put academics there last for a reason. In our classroom, academics come last. Comes last, which is the opposite of our gen ed peers. There, academics come first. In our classroom, academics come last because we have to get the behavior before we get to the academics, all right? So just some things to consider. Let me know what your thoughts are of this. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and attach some tools uh, underneath here. And I'm thinking the assignments or the tasks, the tasks that we can delegate to our staff members and uh, for those of you who are interested, I have a consistent teacher masterclass that would definitely be of help. This masterclass is absolutely free. And I also have um, the EBG Classroom Guide to help you build that culture and to help you meet those success parameters that you set for yourself in order for you and your students to have good days, right? So 
into knowing better and being better. Here's to doing better, being better. Uh, I'm your host, Shay Tracy, and I will talk to you soon.